0: My name is Isaac Mann, and uh, to tell you a little bit about myself, I grew up in England. Uh, my dad's a pastor over there, and then I came back to the States to uh, go to college, and um, then I'm now at DTS. I'm in my fourth year there, uh, studying like church history kind of stuff. And uh, this is my teaching partner over here, Let you. Go in.
1: Yeah, I'm Josh Vita. I'm also a student at DTS. I'm from Michigan originally. Uh, which is almost as far away as England, I think. Um, my parents were not missionaries, but it's a different culture anyway. Um, yeah, and I'm just really excited to be here. Thank you all for being here. Um,
0: yeah, we're, um, we're going to kind of keep it informal because we've got a few big things we're going to talk about. And so what we'll do is uh, we have three questions we're going to deal with. And as we walk through, you can see those on your notes, each page is a new question. And as we walk through, I'm going to kind of give you some background to it, because I do the historical stuff, that kind of thing, and then uh, we'll have some, uh, it's always open for discussion, so if you ever have a question, just raise your hand, we'll do it. And Josh is going to come in and uh, handle the second half of each of these topics, because he's more the philosopher-theologian guy, so he can get into a lot of the implications of, of this stuff. So, um... First of all, while we uh, get started, we're talking about, like we said, three different trends. Now, we understand that there's a lot of stuff wrong with the church, and we kind of we thought about it in different ways, as though maybe there's all these weeds growing up in the garden of the church, but it, there, there's some that are at the root. There's some ideas that are feeding a lot of the different problems, even though it looks like different problems. There's maybe, there, there's a few key sources. Another way we thought about it is, if you get sick, you have a number of symptoms but they may all be caused by just one disease. And so that's the kind of thing we're trying to hit at is here. Is we're not trying to fix the whole church, but we realize there's a lot of problems in the church, in different American churches, and we want to see are there, are there any big things that are kind of the root cause or the kind of disease that's causing all these symptoms uh, in these problems that we see. You guys are probably aware of these problems. So we don't want to pick on any individual, you know, pastor in the church or any book that was written. We're going to try to stay away from just sort of Name-calling and stuff like that. We really want to get at what is at the heart of a lot of the problems that we have. So, um, to start off with, you guys probably came because you think we're going to talk about certain things. What are some of the things you think are probably going to come up today? Uh, You can just throw stuff out. Anybody got anything? I know Brad did. What did you think was going to come up today? Universalism, okay, yeah, universalism. So, does everyone go to heaven? That's one issue that's come up recently. Anything else? What other problems do you guys? That could be just surfacey problems, things you see in the church, some bad preaching that you've heard, or something that you think we're going to discuss today. What made you come? Health and wealth. There you go. Yeah. Anything else? Really, yeah, really good. What name do we want to give that? Mm syncretism pluralism there's a lot of yeah. names actually that are applied to that uh, mixing religion or something like that yeah yeah kind of like everyone's okay everyone's cool we're all good yeah anything else there's, there's tons of them so yeah don't be worried about giving a wrong answer shallowness, shallowness. <laughs> yeah that manifests itself in a lot of different ways yeah yeah that's a big one cultural christianity, cultural christianity. very good anything else I'm a spiritual person, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of a spiritualism. Good. Anything else? I mean, I, we could go on and on. There's tons and tons of problems. Anything else anyone wants to talk about or thinks we're going to talk about today? What did you come expecting? It's fundamentalism. fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good. You're a good there you go. Good person, so you're going to get into heaven. Excellent. A lot of good responses. Anything else? Universalism. Yep. Universalism. You got it right there. Bam. That's cool. Maybe we'll mention it twice. That's good. Good. Anything else? A lot of good answers, guys. Mm -hmm. Great. So we all know that there's problems in the church. So we're not actually going to address any of these. No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna we're gonna get to them. We're gonna get to them. What we're gonna do though is instead of talking about each of these and just sort of treating the symptom, we're gonna try to get at what is at the heart. What's you know what's feeding this bad theology. What, what is it that we believe or that we hold on to or that we kind of don't don't uh, analyze about ourselves but leading, that's leading us to a bunch of these? So we're going to hit on three big things that, uh, that we think are doing that. You know we're not going to solve all the problems of the church. There's tons of them we all know we've all been in different churches. and I've heard people say that even watermark has problems somewhere. I, you know I've never seen anybody with any problems at Watermark, but uh, you know I'm sure, I'm sure we have our imperfections, you know if we're going to be honest. So yeah, we're gonna hit on we're gonna hit on a lot of these. So good thinking. I'm glad you guys came to the right class. Uh, if this is what you want to talk about, because it will come up. So um, the first one we're gonna talk about is the question. What my things over there? Can humans be good? Can humans be good? Now, this is kind of a simple question, all right? We, we've made it really simple because this is kind of the root issue. But this get, it gets gets into a lot of stuff, however you answer this question. And the reasons why you answer this question the way you do uh, affects a lot of other things. And actually, out of the three questions, we're going to spend most of our time, at least half of our time, on this question. Because this one infects everything else so thoroughly, It's really, really huge. So to start the discussion, we're going to go back about 1,600 years in the church to the early church history, and we're going to talk about where this first showed itself. Because this isn't just a problem for us. This has been a problem since almost the beginning in the church of how do you answer the question, can humans be good? We have the history of Augustine and Pelagius. Now, some of you may have heard of Augustine before. He is, I think pretty well accepted that he's the most influential theologian of all history. He's kind of the man. Yeah, he's the dude. After Paul. Yeah. Yeah, he's the big Lebowski. Yeah. He is he's the guy of theology. And Augustine isn't the guy of theology because he just came up with all these things to say. He's the guy of theology because there were problems that rose up in the church when he was a pastor and he had to deal with them. And so in reaction to those problems, he wrote answers and everyone reads those answers, and they are uh, very well accepted in the church. A lot of what he said, not everyone agrees with him, of course, but he really set the, church on, uh, he set the church back on the tracks it should have been on a lot. Now, not everyone agreed with him, not everyone followed him. But Augustine uh, lived in about the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth century, so about 1,600 years ago. Um, Augustine came to faith a little later in life. He was brought up in a time when the Roman Empire was pretty much Christian. Okay, So if you were going to be a good Roman, if you were going to be a good member of the Empire, you were Christian. And he was brought up by a Christian mother. Now his father wasn't a believer, but his mother was very, very devout. She was a really strong believer. But Augustine was an intellectual. Okay so he didn't buy into all that stuff about Christianity he was a little bit too smart for it right he was a young guy he started to study his dad really encouraged his education and his mom always tried to influence him but he he was just too far above it so he got into cults. He got into all kinds of different things. He was very sexually promiscuous in his young life. He'd sleep around a lot. Um, he didn't want to marry right off the bat because you have to marry up in the Roman world, right? If you're going to rise in society, you have to marry up. So his mom didn't want him to marry too young. So even his Christian mom got him a concubine, a girlfriend to sleep with so that he could you know, live out his fantasies or whatever, but he didn't have to commit to a marriage right away. So he led a very... Uh, what we might call immoral life early on, and it didn't really bother him. But then, later on, as he started to get more serious in his life, he started to study more about Christianity, he started to get more into it. He, he began to be very convicted by the way he was living life. Uh, and this is good, because once he did become a Christian, Augustine didn't suffer with any delusions about having been a good person or I'm going to work my way into heaven. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he wasn't good enough to save himself, And he knew he needed someone else to save him. Um, So that's really going to be his big influence. And actually there's a quote that we have from him. This is a prayer uh, of Augustine. Uh, My only hope is in your, meaning God's, great mercy in that alone. Give what you command and command what you will. You command sexual restraint from us. And when I knew, as it is said, that no one could be sexually restrained unless God gave it to him... Even this was a point of wisdom to know whose gift it was. What do you guys think he meant by that? Try to explain that for me. What's he talking about here? Yeah, even your good works are a gift from God. Look at that phrase. Give what you command and command what you will. So he's saying, you can tell me to do whatever, God. You can tell me to be as good as I should be. You can tell me exactly how to live. But if you're going to tell me exactly how to live i, I can 't do it on my own you 've got to give it to me you've got to, you know, the good works have got to be a gift from God. Faith has to be a gift from God. This is the kind of thing that Augustine thought uh, Now he studied so much and he worked so much he didn 't really want to be a pastor, and so uh, he would travel around the countryside because he was actually a professor. He taught rhetoric, um, and he would always avoid towns where there was no pastor at the time. you know if there was a church that had just lost its bishop, he would avoid it because he was getting pretty popular as he was a teacher. Uh, And then one day, he accidentally walked into a town, and he didn't realize that they had just lost their bishop. And the congregation went out, heard that he was in town, went out grabbed him and literally dragged him kicking and screaming into the church and made him their pastor. So he's a very reluctant church leader. (laughs) And he became a really strong church leader in North Africa. Uh, He's from uh, just outside of Carthage in North Africa. now Pelagius is the next guy who comes along. He is actually from... Great Britain. Why is my clicker not working? There we go. Pelagius comes along. He's from. He's a monk from Great Britain up in England, and he comes traveling down through Europe, and he's teaching, uh, and as he, he hears some of what Augustine has been preaching, he hears someone use Augustine's line, give what you command, and command what you will. Now, as Pelagius is walking through the Christian world of the time, the Roman Empire, um, he kind of begins to see that there's a lot of moral license going on. He sees people who are sleeping around or who are you know, doing whatever immoral that he as a monk is really turned off by. And he's like, these people are supposed to be Christians. Why are they living so immorally? And he's really frustrated by this. So Pelagius' thing is he really wants to get people to live morally. That's a good thing, right? That's a very honorable thing. So he wants people to live morally. He's like, especially if you're a Christian, you're going to have the name of Christ attached to you. You need to live Rightly, But then he comes across this Augustine. And he thinks Augustine is screwing this all up. Because Augustine says, Give what you command, and command what you will. Now, why would he have a problem with that? It's not a trick question. Why do you think he'd have a problem with that? There you go. Free license, right? If, hey, God didn't give me morality, so I don't have it. That's what he thinks people are going to say. Yeah, if... uh, I would be good, but God just hasn't given me the gift of being good. So you can see why he thinks that's a a pretty big problem. So Pelagius uh, comes in and contradicts Augustine pretty hard on this. And is really, again, he's calling for people to be good moral people, which is a a good thing, I think. I assume we would all, moralness is good. Okay, I think the philosopher agrees with it, so we're going to move on. Um, Now, when he says this, there's a few things that he has to do in order to get there. Uh, because if you're going to say that people can be good without a gift from God, you have to believe some other things about sin and things like that. So he's going to deny what we call original sin. Uh, does anyone know what original sin is? Anyone give me a definition of it? or I mean, just like a simple, not like a dictionary definition. What does it mean, original sin? Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There you go, yeah. Adam and Eve sinned. And that passed on to everyone else, right? So their sin, that original sin, kind of passed on to everyone else. Pelagius denies that. He's like, you don't sin and you don't go to hell or you're not punished for something you didn't do. You're only punished for what you do or don't do in this life, right? So that's what he says. He denies original sin, which is Augustine obviously argued for original sin. Uh, He also, uh, let's see here. He's going to say about, about grace that there's two aspects of grace. So we're saved by grace. We all know that. And they would have agreed with that as well. But uh, Pelagius says two things about grace. He says God graciously gave us the ability to choose right and wrong. So that's one kind of grace. Secondly, God gave us the law. He told us what to do. So he gave us the ability to do what's right or wrong, to choose. And he told us what to do that's right. And for Pelagius, that's what grace means. Okay, So this is all, it fits pretty well in line with his theology. You're going to be good. You need to be moral. You have the ability to, and God's told you what to do, so you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible to be good, to live a good Christian life. Um, and his argument really is, if sinning is inevitable, then how can be, people be held responsible for it? Right? I mean, think about that. If, if God created us and Adam and Eve sinned and so we're all sinful, if I am sinful and I can't help it because only God could get me out of that mess, if I sin, how could I possibly be held responsible for that? Because I, I didn't do it in the first place. Um, and there's a, a Bible passage that asks this same question. It, can someone look up Romans 9? Does anyone have a Bible with them? Romans nine fifteen to 21 Yeah, I, that's, that's a good place to stop. So Paul is writing Romans here, and he's talking about this very same issue. Uh, up in verse 13, uh, when God picked Jacob instead of Esau, I remember the two brothers in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, he picks their two brothers, and from their birth, God says, I'm picking Jacob. And I'm rejecting Esau for the inheritance of Abraham. Okay, And he says, So he says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And then he goes on and says, He, he refers to the, the passage uh, uh, about Pharaoh, where the Israelites are leaving the land of Egypt, Moses is leading them out, and over and over again it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? And so he's saying, God hardens whom he wills. Uh, he basically he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. So then Paul asks the question, you will say to me then, why does he, why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? This is the same question we're asking. What's the answer in verse 20? How does Paul answer that question? He doesn't really give an answer, does he? He says, but who are you, O oh man, to, a- to answer back to God? He's like, you're just a man. Why are you asking God questions as though you're grilling God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So Augustine's looking at the Bible and he's saying this question has already been answered for us. Right? Pelagius wants to say we have the ability to be good or bad and God's told us what to do so that's how we be good. And Augustine is saying we should definitely be good but we have to recognize that our goodness is a gift from God. So in summary for Pelagius, there is no original sin. That's the first thing he denies. No more grace is needed than God's law and human free will. You don't have to write all of these down, but if you think something's interesting, we're not having a quiz at the end, so just whatever you want to take away. No more grace is needed than God's law and human free will. And the third thing, perfect obedience to God's law is possible. If you had you know, strong enough will, if you could make those decisions for right... You could actually follow God's law perfectly you know, through your own ability, through your own ability to choose because God's told you what He wants you to do perfectly and you have that freedom. Now, um, Augustine responds in a few ways. He says... Uh, he holds two things, really, that, that are key to this. Humans, after the fall, after Adam and Eve fell... We have original sin. Humans are totally depraved. So Augustine's going to say, Sin affects all of you, right? Even your will. And he's going to say that God is all-powerful and sovereign, which, you know, we would read God's all-powerful, right? So those are the two things informing his his opinion. And this is what Augustine says. Uh, He believed in original sin. All humans are deserving of hell from the beginning of life, is what Augustine says. People can get better, but only through the grace of God, and not by human effort. What do you guys think about that? People can get better, but only by the grace of God, not by human effort. It's okay if you don't have an opinion now. We'll, we'll have a discussion section here in a second where you can ask all your questions. So if you're disagreeing or agreeing with Pelagius or Augustine, keep that in mind and bring it up for our discussion portion. Um, we're going to be looking at some Bible verses, and we'll give you guys an opportunity to share what you think. So this is what Augustine believed about free will. He thought uh, humans have free will, but... He didn't think that people were free not to sin. Now that sounds kind of contradictory, but he says Augustine's view of free will is essentially: if you want to do what you do, then you're free to do it, right? So if, if I sin, but I wanted to sin, my will was to sin, then I was free. I made that decision freely. He doesn't mean that I have the I, I can choose the opposite. In other words, if I uh, if God had determined that I was going to sin or something like that, that I can choose to be good. That's not that's not what he's uh, uh, getting at. It's that you, your will is free in that whatever you do is what you've willed to do, so you made the decision for yourself. This gets kind of tricky. If anyone doesn't understand it, join the club. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as long as a person is doing what they want to do, essentially, they're acting freely, okay. Uh, but because we're so corrupted as humans, right? because of original sin, because we're so corrupted in who we are, we never make good decisions. Now, we may, we may do things that look good, but we're really doing them for selfish reasons or something like that. That's, that's what Augustine is essentially saying. So this is what Augustine believed about grace. Grace, is, for Augustine, is necessary for any true belief or for any, any truly good act. And if anyone can obtain any... This is a quote from him. If anyone can obtain any measure of righteousness by nature and free will alone, apart from supernatural assisting grace, then Christ died in vain. That's a pretty strong statement. Does any, is anyone else a little uncomfortable with that? Go back to again. He says if anyone could obtain any measure of righteousness by nature and free will alone, so he's picking up Pelagius, apart from supernatural assisting grace, so grace from God, then Christ died in vain. What does he mean by that? Christ died in vain? His death was enough. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Why did, why did he have to be plain and We had the Old Testament, right? We had the law. We knew what we were supposed to do. If we were free to make right and wrong decisions, and we could get to heaven that way, why did Jesus need to die? You know, why did we need that? What What point? What is what, What's the point of that? And And that becomes a really big issue. Pelagius doesn't really get into answering all of that stuff. Uh, he's mostly concerned about morality, remember. But this kind of stuff comes up later. We're going to look real quick at some other instances in church history where it's come up. Uh, it comes up with Calvin. John Calvin is pretty much the same as Augustine. And there's a guy that rises up just after Calvin. His name is Arminius, and he's saying a really similar thing. Uh, now Arminius isn't totally in agreement. With, excuse me, is not totally in agreement with Pelagius, but he's somewhat similar. Uh, he says that uh, God's grace through Christ is the only way to be saved. So that's good, right? That's kind of Augustinian. But he also affirmed that we have free will to choose right and wrong. Uh, God saves and elects people based on his foreknowledge of what they're going to do. So Arminius is going to say that God chooses people to be saved, but he's going to say he bases that because, like, so, in other words, I got to save when I was a little kid. And Arminius would say, God saved me not based on just grace and sort of like, I'm going to save him because he's a sinner. He saves me based on the foreknowledge of what I would do as a good person later on. He knew that if he saved me when I was 60, I was going to save some kid you know, from drowning or something like that. I was going to do good works. And so he saved me based on that foreknowledge. Now, I may be wrong, but there's a few philosophical problems with that. I don't know if you're going to touch on them, but uh, you, guys, you guys get the gist of Arminius. So this is kind of a similar debate, but uh, it's not exactly the same thing. Arminius isn't totally like Pelagius. Now, in the Enlightenment is where we see this show up again. And this is important for us because we talk about America being a Christian nation, and it's true that Christianity was really influential at the time. But the way of thinking at the time was Enlightenment thinking. This was just starting as we were starting as a nation. If you read our founding documents, you see Enlightenment thinking all through it. So we as American Christians need to be careful that we don't just, you know, buy into this stuff without thinking about it. Descartes comes along, and I'm just going to summarize real quickly. Josh is the expert on this stuff, so I'm totally out of my depth on this. I'm summarizing. I just want to read. It's going to be so generalized, my description of the Enlightenment, that he'll probably be squirming uncomfortably over here. <laughs> But uh, Descartes essentially says, how do we know what we know? How I want to find out what is the basis on which I build all my other knowledge. He's a rationalist. He's the father of rationalism. So he goes off on his own and he's thinking and he's like, I'm not going to believe anything that I can doubt. Okay, this is what he starts with. So um, I can doubt the Bible is true. Right. That's. I mean, we believe it's true, but I could doubt that it's true. He's a Christian, so he, he's going to believe it, but I, doubt, I could doubt that it's true. So I can't be sure of it. Now, uh, I could also doubt that God exists, right? I mean, he, he believed in God, but he thought, I, I could doubt that. I don't necessarily know that God exists. But there's one thing that Descartes found that he couldn't doubt. What do you think that was? Has anyone taken any philosophy? What couldn't he doubt? his own existence like physical existence he might be able to doubt that what if this is all the matrix or what if this is all a dream you know inception or something like that like he could doubt his own he could doubt the physical existence but you're right he he realized that if i'm doubting i'm doubting the bible i'm doubting god i'm doubting the physical world the only thing i can't doubt is that something is doubting right i must if i'm if i'm doubting everything then i'm Something must be doing the doubting, therefore I exist. So what does he say? I think, therefore I am. I doubt everything, therefore I must exist. Whether I'm a mind or a spirit or whatever, I must exist in some form if I'm going to be doubting things. So from there he constructs back to God exists because I must have been created. And he he finds his way up into all this other knowledge, but he's building on that foundation of I think, therefore I am. So he's the father of rationalism. You can reason your way to true knowledge. Do you guys feel that influence on our culture at all? Reason is king. It's there some. This one's maybe a little bit bigger for us. John Locke, those of you who are Lost fans like I am, yes, John Locke, he comes along and he says something different. He says, now, as a little baby, you don't just start reasoning from the very beginning. You have input, right? So how, do, how does John Locke know what he knows? How do we know this whiteboard exists? Anybody? Okay, yeah. You see it. You feel it. You could taste it. That would be a little weird. But you can see it and feel it. It must exist. That's how we reason our way. That's That's coming straight from John Locke. If that's what you thought when I asked the whiteboard, you're an empiricist. You've already been infected by this disease. Uh, no, this is, it, it makes sense though, right? I mean, if I can see it and touch it, I believe that it exists. This is what John Locke is going to say. Is our senses, is, uh, through our senses, we arrive at knowledge. So he's the father of what we call empiricism. And this is what blossoms. This is just after the Reformation in Europe. This blossoms into the scientific movement and this is when like technology is coming about and we're learning all these things about astronomy and physics and you know all this geometry and all these things are all blossoming out of this enlightenment thinking because if we trust what we see if if that's how we arrive at knowledge then how do you then how do you learn things how do you come to truth you study the physical the sensible world okay and if you can't see it taste it touch it smell it How do you know it exists? You don't, right? So this is the enlightenment. These are what these guys are saying. And and, and we're pretty influenced by this. Another place where this shows up in our history is uh, the Second Great Awakening in America. So when we're founded, it's like just at the same time as the Enlightenment has is, is sort of had its influence and that, the people who come over from Europe and found America, the first settlers, are coming in. and Yeah, they're Christian, there's some Puritans, but a lot of people who are coming to the New World are influenced by the Enlightenment thinking. And that's why you see it in a lot of our, our documents. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution are a lot of these are founded on the ideas of the individual can come to knowledge for themselves and if we put all of our individual perceptions together what we come up with is the best decision for our country that's how we vote our leaders in, we vote our president in Uh, people arrive at knowledge as individuals and then if we're being reasonable and we're using our senses then common sense would say that we could come to the best decision if we all put our heads together it's not necessarily a bad idea. I'm not attacking democracy or anything. I'm just, it's coming right out of this way of thinking. So, the Second Great Awakening in America started to say if before salvation was always kind of a work of God, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in, he convicts, and he brings the person to that point. Our job is to preach the gospel. In the Second Great Awakening, there's a guy named Charles Finney. And what he says, he denies the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation humans, people, have free will, he says, to come to their own conclusions. You can choose whether to follow Christ or to not, and God's not going to force you either way. This is what Finney says. Now, the other people of his day, a lot of the other pastors, guys like Jonathan Edwards, were more in line with Calvin and Augustine and all the others who were saying, you know, God chooses, and and, uh, we... You know, we choose to follow God, but we don't really we're not making that determinative decision. God's the one who chooses us and it's by grace we're saved. He's gonna say, no, 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 you make the decision on your own. And so he starts to to practice his meetings a little differently. You see, before that you preach the gospel, if people get saved, great. But he thought, no, no, if people are gonna make the decision, I need to help them make the decision. Right? I can I can I can encourage them. If I just get my marketing right. If I use the right catchphrase, I can impact them so that then they'll be more likely to get saved. Or right? I can encourage them to make the right decision. So uh, because he knew how to motivate people, he had a few strategies. One of them was he brought a bench up on the front. So we'd be in a meeting. You can see kind of like this one. It gets pretty emotional. You have a bench up on the front called the anxious bench. And people would go through the audience and, and bring people who were just about to crack find someone who's on the edge of you know that emotional salvation let's be born again decision you bring him up to the anxious bench you sit him there and then they're in the spit zone you know i mean charles finney is just up there and he's preaching away and he's waving his arms and he's telling you're a sinner and you need grace and you need god you need to be born again and finally after like you know a couple hours of that whether you want to or not you i'll get saved (laughs) Like, I don't even care. I'll get saved, and so that's how he converted people. His other his other strategy, and this is still a strategy of the Baptist church, which I grew up in, is called the protracted meeting, which means you just go on and on and on until everyone just gives in. You know, you you bring your non-safe friends in, and you just preach and preach, and they I can't even take it anymore. You know, and they just come forward. This is the kind of strategy he would he would practice. And so this is the second great awakening. That that protracted meeting and that anxious bench led to a lot of the revivalist tradition in America. Like the altar call. Have you guys ever been in a church that has an altar call? That came straight out of this. That's just a... Sort of a later evolution of what he's doing. So we've carried over a lot of those same practices in our church. That's why at the end of a Baptist service, you know, my granddad used to play like 17 verses of just as I am until people would come forward, you know, because there may be that last person who's holding out, who's just about to make that decision, who's holding out, and you need to influence and impact them to come forward. So this is Charles Finney. These are uh, some of the repercussions later on in church history of plaguing thought. And I hope you can see that is pretty clear we we may be influenced by some of this we might be I don't know if you can see ways that we are Um, but let's talk about that a little bit we're gonna have where's my thing over here Uh, we're gonna have a little bit of discussion now so we want to see what does the Bible have to say about this now some of you may agree with Augustine or Pelagius we don't care at this point Uh, just share be honest don't don't feel shy about sharing what you really think but try to defend it from the Bible. We want you guys to you know, use verses and not just opinions. Uh, so we're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say about this. So first of all, get with a neighbor and discuss this question. We're going to give you about five, uh, yeah, about five minutes. Discuss with a neighbor this question and use Bible verses if you can. You know, uh, try to use some sort of source for that. So meet with one other person next to you, or if you want to do a group of three, that's fine too. But... What does the Bible have to say about this whole
1: discussion? Does anybody else need handouts? Did anyone? Yeah, we have other
0: handouts if you need. Uh, Can humans be good? Just the whole—we've been talking about the history of that discussion. What do you think about it? We just want to know your raw opinion. Yeah. So you've had about five minutes to solve all the problems in Christianity. How are we doing? Good. Good. I see some people have finished. So what we want you to do now, yeah, you've finished solving all the problems in Christianity, so class over. Now, uh, what we're going to do now is, with your group of two or three, get together with another group next to you, or you could do three groups if you really want to be ambitious. But get together together with another group and summarize kind of what you were saying. Give each other your pitches, and maybe they'll have something different to say. So uh, battle it out again, but now with another group. All right? So we'll give you guys a few more minutes to do that alright so now we're really wow. now you guys have solved the problems we've shared our solutions with other people uh, we want to hear what you guys have to say so let's do it as a group now throw forward what bible verses did you guys find um, what are your thoughts on what we've been talking about uh, can humans be good go what do you guys find there are some verses in the bible about this I think Right? did you guys find any Roman 721. Romans 721 can you read that for me Hmm, okay. So wh- where do you come down on all this? You're saying what? Who's right? You can have good intentions. Okay. So this is... Uh, do you have better handwriting or do I? I don't know. You saw it. You probably have better handwriting. Than <laughs> oh, see, I already messed it up. Seven. Oh, goodness. The answer is seven. Seven. Yes, 42. <laughs> Romans 7, 21, right? That was- all right. Anybody else? Any other passages? Romans 3, 12. All right. I'm just going to put Romans 3, because I really like the whole chapter, but go ahead and read it for us. All uh, turned away in one. It didn't just say what I think it said. I think I'm, it said, <laughs> th- there's no one. <laughs> there's no one who does good, not even one. Can we actually, let's read a little bit more of that chapter. I like that chapter. Romans 3, 9 to 18. Romans 3, 9 to 18. Let's see here. Uh, Paul is writing to the Romans and he says what then are we Jews any better off speaking like are we better than the Gentiles because we're Jewish not at all for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks meaning Gentiles are under sin what does it mean to be under sin he says as it is written and this is from the Old Testament he's quoting from the Old Testament scriptures none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks God All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What do you guys take away from that? We're not good and we're going to be held accountable for it. We are not good. Yeah. We're not good and we're going to be held accountable for it. Uh, so does anyone seek God? What does he say? No. no. Is there anyone who understands? No. no. So I feel like he's pretty clear here, but there are other passages well, as well. I to tell me out here. Okay, um, go for it
1: couldn't isn't this just maybe a general truth like nobody actually does this it's not saying they they can't that's
0: a that's a possibility I mean you know you look at this uh, right the third is an open grave no one does good no one understands no one seeks God is it talking about yeah possibility or ability
1: what do you guys think
0: it's talking about ability is inferred, but I think you okay. it literally it's what you do, I don't know. Okay. I think, I think ability is inferred. Like, so you're saying the language makes it sound like it's talking about possibility. No one ever does this. But the reason it's saying that is because we're not able to do those things. Okay. Anybody else have any input on that? That Because that's an interpretation of this passage. I mean, uh, Jacob Arminius, the guy we were talking about before in opposition to Calvin, uh, he, like I said, he doesn't totally agree with Pelagius, but that's how he would interpret this passage, is to say, well, it's talking about, you know, possibility or something rather than ability, you know. What do you guys think? About anything else about that? Just in our sinful nature, we just don't... It's just, we don't do it. it. I don't
1: think it's that we don't have the ability. It's just we're... We just don't, we okay. not We do it. We're just sinful. We just, we run from God. That's our nature, uh,
0: that's our nature to run from God. So, so you
1: know, kind of, a,
0: it's His ability that—it's not really saying that, but, uh-huh. but that's uh, the only thing I. Uh, could, you could make an argument. Maybe, it's yeah, that I'm going back to. Yeah, it's ability.
1: It's, we it, really don't have the capacity as humans to really
0: see God. It's interesting that you say because I think that's I, in my interpretation of it. it seems like yeah, it's kind of close to nature. Like it's our nature to do these things, and if you do good, then you're going against your nature, which no one, you know. No one goes against their nature because it's their nature. I mean, that's you know that's what we're talking about. So that's interesting. Yeah. Any other takes on it? There's
1: also yeah. original sin where permanently living sin is separation from God. And we yeah. We're into original sin, so we're, we're going to have separation
0: no matter what we do. Okay. Anybody else? Any input on that? This passage?
1: I think we take a look at you know human nature without God, apart from God, uh-huh. apart from God's influence, we are bad. But when God comes in. And helps us through our conscience. Mm-hmm. You know where God, of
0: course, you know. Yeah. Then, then we start seeing the light. But, of it to be good. but of course, so we of God, right? We if I if I can argue from the other yeah. side, though, if we are good, we are bad, is what you're saying. We yeah. are bad. Yeah. Could we be good?
1: It's not our nature. Yes.
0: Yeah. What was that? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any other answers? You could be, be good, but you're not good enough. Interesting. That could, it's a philosophical thing. We could go on that forever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it, but we could go on that forever. Uh, any other passages? I mean, there's a ton more, so, uh, yeah. I don't
1: know the verse, but it's like, uh, I don't know the address, you say, but um, there's nothing good that lives in me that is isn't my sinful nature, for I have desire to do what is good that I
0: cannot carry out. Yeah, Romans 7, right? Is that right? You had yeah. it in Romans 7 somewhere seven,
1: eight,
0: yes. yeah. Also, yeah so we could just actually we could erase this and just leave 7 up there, <laughs> okay. there pretty soon go. we're going to erase the numbers yeah Roman. Romans in general there right. you go yeah anything else any other passages there's also First um,
1: Corinthians 1 27 through 31 God chose the foolish to shame the wise and he chose the weak to shame the strong and it goes on you know, so that no one can boast in his
0: presence he is the reason you have
1: a relationship with Christ Jesus Mm. Um, so that it is written that the one who
0: boasts, boasts in the Lord so what was the reference 1 Corinthians 1
1: through
0: 27-31 through 27-31 interesting any other feel free to just comments other passages keep them coming I want to
1: take it from the other side here
0: ok take it from the other side uh,
1: ok we have uh, Mary Mary breaking the the uh, jar of oil mm. on Jesus' head yeah Jesus praised act. What mm-hmm. you do will be spoken about right.
0: You know, forever. Right. Was that a good act? Was that? Was it a good act? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Roman centurion yeah. saying,
1: okay, you know, okay, if you're my son, I'm a man in authority. Like your authority, all right, if you have to say the word. He's yeah. healed. Yeah. Jesus says, go, he's healed. Okay, I've not seen his faith in anyone. And, mm-hmm. you know. But Yeah. those acts were so guided by Christ,
0: Right. they were the well does the passage yes. say how they came about no from God or from the person's nature yeah yes. it's kind of difficult those are good points though yeah Brad I was going to say in response to that and also Zacchaeus be said he didn't yeah. back to that he had made it wrong right He's, that was Christ's points to that being a response right to God's influence on his life not necessarily because he did this do you have a Bible verse for that Brad <laughs> you know I was going to pick on you. <laughs> yeah. I don't. What? What is it? That's another good passage. Yes, Ephesians 2. I could just write Zacchaeus up here, I guess. Somewhere in Luke, right? You said 8 through 10? Yeah. Okay. You want to read that for us? That's a great passage. Sure.
1: Are
0: his Can you read verse 10 for me again? Yeah. I we ask people to repeat things. So we're created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. In Christ Jesus. That's, interesting. That's interesting. Any other passages that you guys came up with? If you take an opposite opinion to someone else, or us, or whatever you think we think, Go for it. So I, I really want to hear stuff. Yeah? Yeah. of like Yeah. Isaiah 53. Well, we could just go with Isaiah 53 again. It's fun to do chapters instead of verses. Anybody else? There there are tons. Yep. Now, are you arguing that he hasn't been made perfect, so he must have been bad? Or are you arguing that he's pressing on and doing the things? No, like, if, if he hasn't reached the standard, yeah. then how how we... <laughs> Good. Good question. You haven't arrived? I don't know. I thought I had, but no. uh, yeah, Paul hasn't done it. I mean, really, like, what hope does anyone Jesus, else? Paul, Augustine, yeah. <laughs> Isaac, Bono, Bono in between. <laughs> yes, them. Yeah, There you go. Uh, any other? Any other verses? There, there are lots more. Seriously, we could go on forever. Feel free to throw them out. There's a, there's still a few that I have here that people haven't mentioned. Uh, if someone could look up John six forty four, can someone look that up? Hold on to Ephesians 2 right there and a second. Hold on to Ephesians 2 if you have it because uh, we're going to do that a little bit more. John 6, 44. Okay. Yep.
1: 4, four. Um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day.
0: Huh. What is that saying? God does the work. God does the work. No one... Jesus says no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Interesting. Uh, We already mentioned Ephesians 2, but I actually, uh, again, I'm going to erase the verses because I love the whole chapter. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 5. Can someone read that who has Ephesians 2? Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 5. So, on that passage, he says, because of our sin, we're incapacitated a little bit we're handicapped or we're, we're sick is that what he says we're sick in our sins and so it's hard for us to do good what does he say Are we, we're dead in our sins can a dead person bring themselves back to life or heal themselves no we're dead in our sins so when we get saved we start out not sick and unable to save ourselves but dead that's what Paul's saying uh, pretty strong language um... Romans 3, we already mentioned. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 to 18. Can someone read Romans 3, 9 to 18 for me? Oh, I'll read it here. Romans 3, 9 to 18. Oh, yeah, None is righteous, no, not one. Or I'm starting in verse uh, 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we go on and on. So, Yeah. Once again, that's pretty strong
1: language. Uh, Josh, can I ask you to close out with Romans 5? I yeah, that's one of your yeah. favorite passages. So. Sure, I think it's <laughs> kind of central to this one. Romans 5, uh, verse 12, and we'll go ahead and read a couple paragraphs there. So Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for the many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? think go through twenty one yeah, a couple more verses yeah there. eighteen and nineteen consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners hint hint, so also <laughs> through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous yeah that's good. my Bible didn't say hint hint there, but Maybe that's a different translation. It was in the, in the margin there. Oh, okay. At yeah. the NIV. Uh,
0: all right. Yeah, so verse 18 there. Is Therefore, actually. as one trespass led to con- condemnation for all men. What trespass is he talking about? The original, sin. the original sin. Original sin, Adam's sin, led to the likelihood of sin for all people condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men so what does that mean if i deny according to this verse if i deny the condemnation through one man adam at the beginning for everyone we're all condemned because of what he did what does that lead to what else do i have to deny there you go that we're all saved because of christ because why would i need that if it's all up to free will. So, I don't know, you may not agree with this. I don't have everything ironed out in all of this either for myself. We're just kind of thinking through some of these ideas and looking at some of these passages. Um anything else anyone wants to throw in there real quick? That's a really good point. Yeah, what did you have a verse? You're pulling that from? The one man's obedience. Yeah. The one guy. The Yeah. Little trick question on his part, right? Because mm. I am God. Bam. Take yeah. that. I like that. He had a sense of humor sometimes. He's comes that, out. <sighs> pretty funny. Yeah, Bam was in there. Yes. Yeah. I used
1: yes. the New Living Translation or something. I, I didn't want people know. to think that you were claiming divinity. Just
0: you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was speaking in the first person. I was talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anything else, you guys? I mean, there again, there's tons of verses. So I mean, we could talk all day about this stuff. But uh, everyone feeling pretty good about this. You've shared everything you want to share? All right, we're going to move on a little bit. Josh is going to come now.
1: Yeah, let's uh, add some fuel to the fire.
0: (laughs) Well,
1: Well, thanks, Isaac. I I think Isaac did a really good job of giving us kind of a big picture view of the problem. And what I want to do now is kind of get detailed and and look at the argument for, for what's actually going on. And I think we're going to see a lot of things that... That we've seen in our own lives and in the lives of our friends and our churches um, so what I want to start with here is we, we've got this idea this is this is you me this is everybody this is humanity so if if we're tainted by Adam's sin then what does that mean for us. What does it mean? I, I guess let me back up. What does it mean to be human? What what makes us up? We have a mind, right? What, what was that? About the atoms. Become science teacher. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm thinking more. <laughs> when we say that that. Well, well, let's do it the Pelagian way here. Pelagius says we're not tainted by sin. So what does that mean? Our atoms are not tainted. All right. Yeah. We've got kind of our physical body. Not tainted by sin. What else? Spiritual. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Spirit. The soul. Mortal. What was that? We're mortal. We are mortal. Yep, so so this all ends at some point. Yep, you've got a mind. What was that? Emotions. Mm-hmm. Good one. Emotions, maybe your heart, your affections. Yeah, yeah so in our mind, we're, we're discerning reality and we're... Understanding, yeah. You could put in uh, the physical part of our body, our
0: physical nature, like the body, because that's the part that lives through time and space, and those are all related ideas, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. There's one more I have in mind, it's something we mentioned already. How about our conscience? And, and this is, I mean... People argue over exactly how to divide up the mind and the spirit, and it's, it's not an exact science. But we know that the Bible talks about us in these terms, at least, right? So, so if, if Pelagius is right and we're not touched by sin, well then, our body isn't corrupt. And what the body tells me isn't corrupt. And so, if I feel hungry, I should obey that. I should obey my natural desires, right? If, you know, my mind is not corrupted. Well, that means I can trust it, right? Why would my mind ever deceive me if it's not tainted by sin? And so, we can go down through this whole list, your conscience. We all tend to trust our conscience, right? And, and if Pelagius is right, then we, we should, right? We should never have this feeling that we should do something right or that something else, somebody else did was wrong. It should always be correct. We should have no sense of guilt. Right, okay, Yeah unless we do something wrong, but why would we even do that, right? So, so, so what I want to see is that in each of these areas, you know, not only does it have implications for, for salvation, but this is everyday life, right? If we're free from sin, from Adam's sin, then we can trust ourselves in all of these areas. And so if I can trust my desires, I can give in to my desires, right? Because why would they lead me astray? Now, what we have here is kind of a, a domino effect that's going to happen because we start with um, uh, we start with man and we start with sin, and what we say about humanity and about sin has implications for salvation. We've already seen some of that, right? So. What might be the implication for salvation? If we're not messed up... Okay, you that? Okay, yeah. If, if we're not messed up, you know, the, the solution has to match the problem, right? So what would be the solution if we don't have this fallen problem? You
0: wouldn't need a savior. You would just need
1: good advice. Yeah, yeah, we need a good example. You know, Adam, he got tricked. And, and he screwed us all over because, you know, he just had a bad example for us. And so, in order to get out of it, we've got to look at better examples, right? Which brings us to the next part. It has implications for the Savior. Whatever you say about Adam also applies to Jesus. So, if Adam gave us a bad example, what did Jesus give us? A good example. He didn't need to give us anything else, right? Because we weren't broken in any other way. Now, if Adam's sin couldn't affect us, what could Christ's righteousness do? Give us no help. No help. He can't, if, if we can't legally get Adam's sin, then we can't legally get Christ's righteousness. And the flip side, we can't give our sin to Christ. So Jesus dies on the cross for what reason? To show how much God hates sin? He couldn't pay for our sins. And so all of these ideas that we're talking about are things that we hear, hopefully, I mean, not here at Watermark, but in other churches. You hear this a lot in Europe, a lot in New England. This is kind of the liberal Christianity, you know. All these dominoes start falling because we said, you know what? Man can do it. Man's not tainted by Adam's sin. Now, here's the really weird thing. What you say about the Savior, because Jesus is God, right, has a lot to say about God. Did Jesus have to be God? Why? He's not doing anything supernatural, right? Suddenly we've got Jesus being just a good person, and the Trinity is exploded because there's no need for a son, and you're not even Christian anymore. <laughs> right? So, this domino falls through, and if, you, if you're being consistent, this is where you end up, believing in a false god. And so, this is one of the trends that we've seen played out through the last couple hundred years, and it happens in churches all the time because they, they don't see the problem over here. They think, you know what, this makes sense—that I'm not corrupted by Adam's sin—and in a couple of generations, the church is useless. It's not even a church, hardly. So, so that's one effect that we see for all of this. Now, double-check something here. Yeah, you've got two problems if you if you buy this idea that that man hasn't sinned, right? Let's say. Let's say we're going to ignore the consequences here and just say, Adam's sin didn't affect me, but I'm still going to try and be a good Christian. What might the problem be? Um, maybe ask it a different way. Uh, uh, let me just put it this way. Ask it again? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of a better way to ask you can find it. What, what good is. Okay. <laughs> what is good? That's. Yeah, so, so it's a little little iffy. How do I be good? The um, flip side of that is, why is there evil? If we don't inherit Adam's sin, then why does everything always end up messed up? What would you guys say to that? Okay, so again, it's that bad example, right? We get tricked, because there's nothing in us that would, that would make us do that, according to this view, Right? so so, so what we have is kind of a, a moral problem here. Well, okay so so if if Adam's sin didn't affect you, then where does that come from? Maybe I don't know, mutant genes, S- society affected them. Oh, there we go. yeah. yeah. Well, why would we even have chaos if if there's no sin breaking down? I don't know. Well, if Adam was a bad example. Yeah. So, so we also have a problem with the solution, right? I mean, not only do we need a good example, but how do we live up to that good example? How do we get out of the rut that we're in? Teach them more. Wonderful. Thank you so much. everything. Yeah.
0: Just educate it out of them.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. yeah no, no toys in McDonald's that's yeah. right man that's, that's a good solution that. yeah yes, yeah, yeah, so if we just educate people, we're going to end up in utopia. what's that yeah, yeah, so that's the goal, right we're trying to to have those good works so that that we'll be a good person, we'll get to heaven, which I don't even know how God would weigh that out, but uh, but, but how do we get to those good works we've got education do you remember one of the things that, that Isaac brought up how, how we like to fix things in our modern era you guys were paying attention right yeah <laughs> what, what was that I think I heard it technology technology science Robotic. yes scientific progress now obviously science is good not demonizing science but we get this idea in our culture, right, that science is going to save us. That if we just have the right method and the right tools, we can get out of whatever mess we're in. Science is God to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and especially once you've gotten rid of God, what else do you have but science and progress and learning and, and trying to pass that on to other people? I've got one more thing along these lines. Let's see. Oh yeah. That's another thing that, that Isaac brought up. And it's actually the picture that we still have up in the corner. Right? Do you remember what that was referring to? The words, the preaching. preaching, yeah. Um preaching's a good thing, so <laughs> but there's a way we can do it wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have this idea of I- I'm gonna call it revivalism. But, but it's kind of this idea that, you know what, just vote for Jesus. You know, salvation is a rational choice. I can choose Christ in my own mind. And so all we need to do is help people to make the right, you know, cast the right vote before they die. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, so we, we, we turn to these things to try and save us. And there's one other huge thing that's, that's kind of wrapped up in all of this. And it's all tied to the mind. Historically speaking, once uh, another huge problem we have, I'll put it this way: we not only say, "Well, there's evil in the world. Where did it come from? How do we fix it?" But if we're trying to be good Christians and believe that that we're born without Adam's sin, what happens when we try and read the Bible? Does the Bible always make perfect sense? yeah yeah so 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 if my brain isn't messed up not not naturally then why doesn't the Bible make more sense what we do is we make this subtle shift and we say you know what my mind is capable of judging God's word and then you open the door to just about any problem that you could face because we try and rationalize and say well, you know, the Bible says answer a fool to according to his folly, and then it says it doesn't, you know, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Well, that's a contradiction. Well, my rational abilities are telling me that the Bible is wrong. So, so I can either tweak it, or I can throw it out, right? And, and there's just a myriad of problems that comes out of that. Now, does anybody have any questions at this point? questions or observations
0: <laughs> let it play out yeah but, okay.
1: but clearly it says we're supposed to continue on to things, you know. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah so are you saying that because the Bible tells us that we need to do good things that, that that implies that we can do them or are you saying
0: you mean the verse in James where he's talking about works and faith and, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Hmm. okay yeah I'll show you my faith by my good works. You you know, yeah. Did, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, cool? go for it. All right.
0: <clears throat> we haven't discussed that answer, so I don't know if we totally agree on everything, but I think this is, yeah. you know, I don't have an answer, to be honest. Uh, not that like I'm just going to get up here and talk, but without going anywhere. But can I erase some of this? or No. Oh, oh, go for it. I can do it? All right. Cool. Uh, do you need to keep anything on here? I'll keep
1: me? the red, actually. Oh, do sorry. Do everything else can go. Yeah.
0: Alright, so that's a good question. Uh, the, the question, once again, is, okay, God's choosing everything, God's determining everything. It's a catchword for it, right? If He's making everything happen, and He's choosing who gets saved and who doesn't, what's the point of doing anything, right? I mean, what's the point of evangelizing? What's the point of even trying to do good or bad on my own? And this is what Pelagius is saying, Uh Essentially, if God's going to have to give what He commands, then I really shouldn't put any effort into it at all because it's all pointless. Yep. This is what we call determinism, and we don't believe in it. We're not determinists. (laughs) Don't go telling Todd that we're determinists, guys, okay? Because we said we're not, explicitly. So, um, I'm going to try to draw some things here that cannot be drawn, so bear with me. The first thing I'm going to draw is God. Okay, so... (laughs) Do I do a stick figure, or I'll just i do this. Mark. I'll do this. I'll do kind of like a like a trinitarian sort of okay, like the Trinity symbol. So we've got God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. Maybe I shouldn't let the gap in the middle back and forth. We'll talk about that later. We're talking yeah. about Trinity. We're good. We're good. But um, God, okay, is is there, and He's outside of time and space, right? He is eternal. He pre- He created time, space, to create the world in, and all this stuff. Uh, he's eternal. That's what we believe, right? So God is there, and He created. Who did He create in the? Well, He created the earth, but we'll just demonstrate creation by Adam here. This is an actual picture of what Adam looked like. Uh, and Adam, the man, any any man or female, we can put a skirt on him. We won't. Uh, any man, male or female, we all live. In time. So God lives outside of time up here. We are living in time. So for us, the world looks like this. A series of little boxes. Now, these are moments in time. And I'm really simplifying. And Josh can burn me at the stake because he's a philosopher and thinks about these things. But this is how I've simplified it for myself. (laughs) Because uh, I'm just a history guy. Um, we, we have moments of time. So I experience, whether you want to go down a millisecond or whatever, I experience one moment after another, and I experience them in order. You, no matter what your thoughts about sci-fi or whatever, you're not allowed to experience them out of order. They happen in order. So I'm going to experience this moment before I experience this one and so forth. And so uh, God is up here, though, and is he, is, is he experiencing time moment by moment? No, how is he experiencing time? He's not even necessarily just seeing it as when he's observing something. He's right, he's over it. He created it all. So he is viewing the end from the beginning, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's viewing it all together. Now, uh, again, this is just my way of thinking about it. That's, I've tried to make it easy for myself. Uh, this, like, I wouldn't put this up against the Bible. Like, If the Bible ever disagreed with this, I'd get, you know clean it out or whatever. But this is kind of how I think about it. So we are moving through time moment by moment, day by day, and we're experiencing things, God is doing the whole thing overall. So when God looks at it, He looks at the end, and He knows who He's chosen, and He knows who goes to heaven, and He knows what you're going to do, and He knows who's going to be saved, and He knows all those things, and He's created all of it. Right? He's the Creator. We, though, as we're experiencing time, we have to take it one moment at a time. So I may know that God knows what's going to happen in the future, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I may know that God knows who's going to be in heaven in the end or who's going to be in hell or whatever, but I don't know who's going to be in heaven or hell. So do I make decisions based on God's perspective? No, because I don't have God's perspective, except for the limited, I mean, I say limited, it's pretty big, but uh, except for what he's told us about what's going to happen in the future, I don't really know what's going to happen in the future. So I have to trust that, but I'm living my life moment by moment. So God, for instance, when we get to a, a decision that I have to make, okay, and I had to make a decision the other day, um, it was between pepperoni pizza or do I go to Supreme Pizza, okay? And I I arrived at that decision, and um, I had to pick one or the other. Now this is an amoral decision, unless you just really like one or the other. Like you know, I I could pick whichever one. It doesn't matter. Does God, if He knows everything that's going to happen or has to happen, does He know what I'm going to do? Yes, okay. But when I go to that decision, am I actually making a decision? If I'm experiencing time and time one moment by another, am I making a decision in that moment? Yeah, I didn't think about God determining, and I didn't like make my head explode to go pick out some pizza. I just made a decision. Why did I make that decision? I was hungry. Yeah, that's why I ate the pizza. That's a given for me. Why did I pick pepperoni or supreme or vice versa? Why would I pick one or the other? Past experiences, maybe. What in me, though? Is it my conscience? Is it my physical nature? That's that's why I'm eating, but maybe my tastes. It's my will, right? I'm willing to make a decision. I want to make a decision. Do I have free will in that moment when I'm making that decision? Whichever one I pick is the one I will to pick. Even if I'm like, I like pepperoni better But I know I'm a sinner, so I'm going to punish myself by eating vegetables. (laughs) Even if I made that decision, that's still my will. I willed to do that, right? So I freely willed to do that. Was it free, though? Now we have to define free. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, (laughs) I made the decision according to my will, but God also knew at the same time that it was going to happen from the beginning of time. Anybody bothered by that? I still am. I mean, this doesn't explain it all. It's just kind of how like, I've started to think about it. Yeah. How let,
1: can you juggle these two? And, and, and let me say, this is yeah. one of the biggest kind of philosophical yeah. issues in Christianity is trying to understand that because God, uh, the Bible, affirms we have decisions that we make but also that God is sovereign. Yeah. And so it's not that we're trying to figure out which one is true, because they're both true. Yeah. But how they relate is
0: so again, really tough. So again, I am not teaching this as like this is what the Bible necessarily says. Other people have believed other things and they've been great Christians, better Christians than I am. This is, yeah, this idea of God's sovereignty and our decision-making responsibility for those decisions, this is kind of a way that I've tried to, I've tried to hold them in tension at the same time. I don't want to deny one or the other, but I want to hold them both. But how do you do that? I mean, this is still, this is insufficient answer right here. You know, it kind of gets us a little bit there, but yeah, right. So we, we're not called to determine who is elect and who was not like right we don't we're not trying to figure out who's going to hell and who is what's our job what are we commanded to do in the bible obey god and what what are we supposed to do in terms of evangelism make disciples, make disciples by making them disciples Love one by loving preach the word so that's why in evangelism i'm not going out to make christians in the ter- in the sense that i'm going to like finney said kind of force them into the church or pressure them until they get saved i preach the gospel the Holy Spirit's gonna, if he's convicting them, you know, they're gonna come to Christ if I present the gospel and if I live like Christ in front of them, then he'll, you know, that's what I'm called to do. God will take care of their salvation part. I don't have to, I'm not called to like make those kind of judgment calls. We're actually specifically told not to make those judgment calls in
1: the Bible. One thing I'll add, and I don't know if this is helpful to anybody, but I, I really think salvation is a miracle of God. Yeah. Right? Just like the first birth is a miracle. The, the the rebirth, being born again, is also a miracle. And it's amazing to me what the Holy Spirit will use to accomplish that miracle. Uh, he doesn't do it in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. He uses us, uh, which is amazing. But it's still the Holy Spirit's miraculous work that seals the deal there. So I don't know if that helps anybody at all. Um, well, Basically, we've kind of looked at the implications of the problem and, and the symptoms that we see in everyday life. One thing I want just to emphasize again is those dominoes falling, right? We we start with, or, or we end up at what uh, one theologian said. He said, um, "I want to make sure I get this correct here." He said, "Once you end up with this kind of liberal Christianity, this this this." libertarian, um, Pelagian Christianity. He said, you know, you have a God without wrath bringing man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the workings of Christ without a cross. And that summarizes where you end up with this line of thinking. And it all starts with a phrase that I think most of us have heard. I want to make sure I get this right too. Yeah. Has anyone ever heard God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> I've talked to people who are swear that that it's in the Bible. They can't tell me where for it's some It's in Hezekiah reason. seven. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Third hesitation Yeah. You know, third Ecclesiastes five one. Yeah. yeah. So, so, just with that statement, God helps those who help themselves, all the dominoes start falling. Uh, that's Richard Niebuhr. Um, he's an early 20th century theologian. So so maybe even just to bring it home a little more, these are things that we do see in our churches sometimes. Maybe we try and find the right method for for, um, winning people over. We maybe think, all I need is the right argument and somebody's going to come to the faith. All I need is, you know, just the proper method or the proper education or, or, you know, just whatever it is, and people will have to become Christians or they'll have to be good. And we have to remember, like I was saying, you know, that God uses those things, but that's not what seals the deal. I don't put my faith in historical evidence for Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, and God uses that historical evidence. Does that kind of make sense? All right. Any last questions before we take a break? Does anyone have
0: any other things? Like, we've talked about this. Where do you see this? In yourself or in the church or other churches you've been to? (laughs) There aren't any of us that misbehave, are there? (laughs) (laughs) The Crusades and I think of a few other examples. They weren't Christians. (laughs) Oh, they weren't? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. And we see that in history. One of the things that I didn't talk about but we could have talked about is how when you adopt this view religion just becomes good morality. Mm-hmm. You know, a way to become good. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that's hugely pervasive. It's just you know, it's not about the supernatural god who came to save us. It's a manual for being a better person.